This is like Super Bowl Sunday for the church. You do realize that. This is like the big day for the church. You know, amen. Yes, you can applaud. There's, there's nothing in all of human history that is as amazing and as powerful as Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, whether you like Jesus or don't like Jesus, whether you, and I kind of figure you have at least some affinity because you're here. Uh, there are people, though, who don't like Christianity and do like Christianity, but there's no intelligent argument that you can make. There's no intelligent argument you can make against the fact that Jesus' rising from the dead is the greatest event that has impacted the world more than any other event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it, it's, it's a powerful thing that we celebrate here today. It doesn't matter. You know, there's been a lot of powerful people in world history, and whether it was a religious leader or a political leader or military leader or an industrial leader, tech leader, business leader, you know, a financier, whatever, an oligarch, a, a, a monarch, a dictatorship, a, an emperor, a king, a president, whatever, if they were born like sometime around 1900, 1920 or earlier, I'm going to tell you something. They're in their grave right now. They're in their grave. But Jesus isn't. Jesus' grave is empty. He has risen from the dead. Yes. The only, it's even funny because he really is a world leader, but he never really positioned himself as a world leader. It's interesting. Jesus is, is such a beautiful, a beautiful person. And he's risen from the dead. His, his tomb is empty. And we have this wonderful life in Christ. Now, there are a lot of little epitaphs, if you've heard that word, little inscriptions on tombstones. And some of them are really beautiful. If you ever go to a tombstone, now some of you probably even enjoy going to graveyards. I, I, don't raise your hand if that's you, because other people look at you and go, I don't know. They enjoy going to graveyards, but they're actually fascinating places. And one of the most beautiful graveyards uh, is in Hope, Indiana. The Moravian Cemetery really is a beautiful place. And you, you can read these little epitaphs, these little inscriptions on there, and they're short because there's not a lot of room to write a lot there. And some are really beautiful, like you may read, you know, you were the most beautiful and gracious lady God ever created. You'll see stuff like that. You'll see st something like, you know, he was a, a devoted uh, son, a, a caring brother, a, a loving husband, you know, a devoted father and adoring papal you know you read stuff like oh that's so sweet but my favorite epitaph that i've ever heard in my life this is my favorite it says this here lies the shell of john the real nut is in heaven i think that is just the best i think that's the best thing i think that's the best thing to put on a tombstone but jesus he has no epitaph there's no tombstone there's no if, if, if you go to Jerusalem, I would strongly suggest you do this beautiful place, the Garden Tomb. You can go there and look at it. it looks, now I don't know for sure if that was exactly, you know, the tomb, but it looks like it should be, and everything's, you know, positioned says it could be. It's a beautiful place to go, and you'll, you'll walk in, and it's a tomb. It's a cut out in a stone, and you walk through the stone door, and you look around, and, and guess what? Nobody's in there. And you, you won't really recognize this till you start to leave. But when you turn around to leave, you'll notice that there's a big wooden door that is open flush with the tomb. And this is the closest thing you'll find to an epitaph written, inscribed in wood on that door. They, they shut the door at night because of vandals or souvenir seekers. You will see this. You will see he is not here for he 
is risen. That, amen. Amen. He is not here, for he is risen. It's the closest thing you'll get to an epitaph right there. Now, on Easter, I oftentimes talk about the unswerving information and data and facts that show that Jesus is who he said he is, that he has risen from the dead. And that's a worthy topic and a very fascinating topic, by the way. Uh, but I'm not going to do that today. But you think it might be a good day to do that because my message title is Unbelief Was Everywhere. Unbelief was everywhere. Even among, and especially among those who were followers of Jesus who had heard multiple times from Jesus that I must be handed over to sinful men. I will be crucified. And three days later, I will rise from the dead. But nobody really got it. Nobody really understood the story. And so there's unbelief everywhere, even among those who knew Jesus best, on this first Resurrection Sunday, there aren't any believers. We start out with the ladies. They're going to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body to finish the preparation for his burial because, if you remember, he was crucified and died on Friday. The Jewish Sabbath was Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, so they did as much as they could, but they didn't finish the job. And so they're all going back to finish the job. Now, let me ask a question. If you're going to finish preparing a dead body for the tomb, then do you believe that it will be resurrected? You don't. You're not believing that. So they show up, and they encounter some angels, and these angels begin to share with them. And the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Luke 24, 5b through 12. And then it says, remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee? that he must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Ah, then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the eleven disciples. They had lost one. Judas had taken his life. And to all the others. I want you to know this. There were lots of others who were following Jesus. So they tell this to the disciples and all the others. Now let's look at their level of belief. It says there's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, at least had enough gumption. He gets up, he runs to the tomb, he looks in, and he sees the linen cloth lying there, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Peter doesn't leave there saying, he is risen. He leaves there going, hmm, wonder what's up with this. I wonder what's going on. So I just want for the record, how many people, when they woke up on Sunday morning, on resurrection morning, how many of the followers of Jesus believed he had risen from the dead? None of them. None of them. Which actually even makes the resurrection more believable. They weren't plotting something. None of them believed it. They had to be convinced about this. Now, John 20, verse 8, we don't have a slide for that, but John, the, one of the disciples, he, he tells the story that it wasn't just Peter that ran to the tomb, but Peter and John ran to the tomb. John tells the story. Of course, he gets to write it, so in his story, he outruns Peter. I mean, you're not going to write the story and say Peter beat you, so he outruns, he outruns Peter to the tomb. He gets there and he looks in. He doesn't enter in. I think there's multiple reasons why that might be, but 
who cares at this moment? And, but Peter, he's like a bull in a china shop, man. He just bursts right in. He looks around. He checks things out. Now, the Bible in John 20, verse 8, written by John, says that John solved the empty tomb and believed. And believed. So he, he was a pretty fast believer, but he didn't believe until he saw where he had some visible, physical evidence that something had happened. Well, sometimes it's hard to believe. I heard of a story of a, just a partial resurrection that was hard to believe. This lady, uh, her and her neighbor did not get along real well. It wasn't super combative, but it was always tense and tight. And one day she looks out her window and she sees her German shepherd shaking the life out of the neighbor's pet rabbit. And she goes, oh, this is not going to go over well. So she runs out there at the broom, whacks the dog a few times. Dog drops this dead rabbit. And she looks around. Nobody sees it. So she, she panics. And she brings the rabbit inside. And she bathes it and washes it. She takes a blow dryer and blow dries out its hair. She fluffs it with a brush. She sneaks it back and puts it into the rabbit's cage. Well, a few hours later, she hears the neighbor lady screaming, Oh, my goodness, my rabbit, my rabbit. So she goes out playing dumb. Oh, what's going on here? She said, my rabbit. He died a few days ago, and we buried him in the yard, and now he's back into the cage. So, uh, so I guess even partial resurrections are kind of hard to believe. Oh, my goodness. So everyone in this story is doubting. Now, we're going to see in a minute about doubting Thomas. I've been defending him for years because we've already read how many of them doubted? All of them. But we, we pick on poor Thomas here. So we look in John chapter 20. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Probably a good opening line when you have entered in the resurrected Jesus through locked doors and you just appear, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Move on a couple verses further down John 20. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus means twin, he was a twin. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Hence the term doubting Thomas. But remember, they were all doubters before. Read on through John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now we don't see that Thomas said, Well, let me see. I'm going to poke that and push. Now immediately he just falls down before God and says, My God and my Lord. And then we see this. Well, before we talk about that, I, I think about this concept of seeing. Where we, we really believe that seeing is, is believing. And it's, it can be a process in it, but seeing also moves us past believing to knowing. 
And there's all kinds of things that you and I believe that we have never seen. And in fact, our belief has gone past belief to knowing about certain things. I bet if I asked you who was the first president of the United States of America, you'd say George Washington. In fact, you would know that. If there was a test, you'd say, oh, I know this one. If you were watching Jeopardy, oh, I know this one, which I hardly ever know the Jeopardy. I like to play Kids Jeopardy, because I get about 30% of those, the Kids Jeopardy one. But you would say, I know this one, George Washington. But I want to ask a question. Were you there? Did you see him? Were you at his inauguration party? I, I mean, how, how do you, you've gone so far, you believe and you even know that the answer to that is George Washington. Well, well how do you believe and why do you believe? Because you believe on the evidence reported by reliable witnesses through their historical writings. And you believe. And the evidence for the resurrection is mind-blowing. But then we get this incredible promise from Jesus. I love this one, because this is where you and I come in. In John 20, 29, it says, Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's where I fall in. I hope every one of you fall in there too. You haven't seen, but you believe. And I want you to know that's not illogical or irrational to believe, just like you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. Reliable sources. Evidence has proven that to us, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so we believe. We believe. In, in my Bible, and most of your Bibles, if you look through them, they'll have they'll have um, um, category or they'll have descriptions. I probably can't see this, but there's just little headings over different verses, above different verses, little headings. Your Bible has that. So here's a heading that's above the verses that we're getting ready to read. Uh, this is the actual Greek doesn't have this. It's just the translators put this. And the translators put this. Here's the purpose of John's gospel. So we're going to read the purpose of John's gospel. John 20, verse 30 and verse 31. Jesus performed, this is John writing, one of the followers, the beloved follower of Jesus. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So John said, I didn't record everything Jesus did and everything we saw, but these are written. What I did record is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? Life you may have life in his name. That's such a big deal for us that we understand that because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have life in his name. We have life. I mean, most of the people, even if they're not churchgoers today, most of the people, honestly, even if they don't really believe in the story, most people who are going to show up at a church somewhere and hear about the resurrection story know the story is about Jesus rising from the dead. So when I or any of the minister says that, they don't go, oh, I didn't know that. They, they know that. But here we're challenged to believe it, not just know it in our head as some possible thing that might have happened, but the truth. And when we look around at creation, it shows the handiwork of our creator, Jesus. Romans chapter 1 actually says this, Paul, Paul who saw the resurrected Jesus, he, he, was, he was a Christian hater. His mission was to stamp out Christianity. 
until you met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. There's something about meeting the resurrected Jesus that'll change your life. And then he became one of the biggest proponents of Christianity the world has ever known because he met the resurrected Jesus. There was a lady who came here. Most of us here probably have not seen Jesus. Now, now maybe you have. There was a lady who came here for years, Shirley Sammons. Those of you who know Shirley Sammons, Shirley Sammons told me that she saw Jesus. Jesus came and, and talked with her. And guess what? I believed her because she wasn't a liar and she was a truth teller. She wasn't trying to manipulate me or let me know she was something wonderful. In fact, I probably knew her for 10 years before she ever told me that story. It wasn't to move my decision on something about this. It was just a story she told very matter-of-factly of how Jesus came and ministered to her in one of her weak moments, in one of her desperate moments in life. Now, most of us probably haven't had that experience, but we believe. We believe. And there's evidence all around. So Paul writes this. He says, no one will stand before God with an excuse. We'll all be without an excuse because all of creation screams out, there is a creator. All of All of it screams out, there's a creator. I say this, and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. I don't have the faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith for me to believe that bing, bang, boom, things bounced around, this happened, that happened, and that happened, and over billions and billions of years, this happened, and that happened. It's easier for me to believe there's a creator. There is a God who spoke things into existence. That's easier for me to get my mind around. And Paul said, all of creation cries out, there is a creator. When you see something, there's evidence that it had a source somewhere. Probably most of you have some shoes on today. If you look down at your shoes, it's proof that there's a shoemaker somewhere. There was somebody who made these. When we look at creation, there's a sign, there's a creator. Jesus, our creator. Now, I want that truth to come off of your page of your scriptures. I I want the truth to come off of that screen and just really become a part of who we are and what we are and what we believe and what we know. That that's what changes our life. See, Jesus didn't come just to give you a little snapshot, a little two-dimensional idea of what he's like, but he came to give us life, real life, so we can enjoy him and enjoy living this life in God. In Florence, Italy, I got up this morning, and in Florence, Italy, there's an event that goes on. But I wasn't sure what Florence, Italy's time was, so I looked it up. And right when I looked it up, this event was about to happen right then. Now, I had a a phone somewhere up here. Okay, it made it over there somewhere? Okay. Thank you. I didn't know if you stole it or if I... Just kidding. Um, in Florence, Italy, on the Piazza del Duomo, and I'm probably saying that like a southern Indiana hillbilly, I get it, but, but that's how I think it's pronounced, is there's this, this gathering that happens, and hundreds of people, thousands of people, they gather in to this plaza, and they're going to watch something that I really can't pr- pronounce how it's said in, in Italian, but I can tell you how it translates into English. Explosion of the cart. That's the translation. And so I got up this morning, and I thought, I wonder when the explosion of the cart's going to happen. When I looked at my watch, there were six hours uh, earlier, and I said, oh my goodness, it's, it's going on right now. You know, probably right about there, because about 11.30 their time is when this happens. And what happens is there's all kinds of pomp and circumstance, and hundreds or thousands of people gather in there, and these four white oxen 
pull out this, this card. It's nothing like you think of a card. It looks like a little mini house. It's like two stories tall. It's very uh, ornate. And this thing's 500 years old. And they use this card every time. And this event's been going on for about 350 years every year. And so what happens is, is they pull that card out. I mean, there's so much pomp and circumstance that goes on before this. And while they're doing this, there's open doors to this cathedral, and they're having an Easter service in there. And when the Easter service ends, out comes a dove. Now, I want to explain this to you. When I think of a dove, I think of a white little feathery thing that just gracefully cuts. This thing is dubbed the rocket dove. It's not a real dove, but it has like these rockets on it. And when that service ends, it goes, it goes on this guy wire and shoots out there, I mean, like a rocket, and it spins and ignites fireworks on this cart. And this cart's full of fireworks all over the place. And when it ignites that, and it starts going off, it zips back into the cathedral and lights another little mini fireworks display. And that fireworks display goes on for about 10 or 15 minutes. But I noticed that when I saw that online, Here's what you'll see. Not all spectators, but a lot of spectators doing. They're viewing this incredible 350-year-old event like this. They're going like this. And they're seeing it. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't know, this screen's probably three by six or seven. If you pull that down, there's an incredible event going on right in front of you. But I'm just... You know, I watch it all like this. And so you watch it like this. You see it all. You record it all. Now, it's kind of cool that it got recorded, but many people have already recorded it. You don't even have to do it. You can go to YouTube and look this up, the explosion of the car in Florence, Italy, and you can watch the thing. And they're watching it on this. And I think to myself, I wonder if that's how we do our faith. There's this big, multidimensional life in Jesus, and we're just kind of two-dimensionalizing it like this, or, and, and by the way, this is not an insult to the Bible. I love the Bible. But this is it, just ink on a page. When there's this living, loving relationship with God that wants to transform us and change us. And, and I remember we, we had a, a sabbatical in 2003. Lily Endowment funded it, uh, and we, we bought this little camera for it. It was, it was uh, this, is, this was cutting edge at the time. This is, this is a 5 megapixel. Now, if you have an entry-level phone, it's probably 10 or 12 megapixel. But this was cutting it. It's got a, a zoom lens. It's got an LED screen on the back. It has a movable eye thing. Okay, this is pretty cool. And so my son took pictures of this, this trip we had overseas. And I'm, I mean, I'm not a person that could judge photography, but as a layman, these pictures were amazing. He had pictures of, of Stonehenge and the Colosseum in Rome and the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe and, and uh, oh, uh, St. Peter's Basilica. He has um, unlawfully taken pictures of, um, of the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> You're not supposed to take pictures in the Sistine Chapel. He's there, and, and he didn't have a flash, so it wasn't hurting anything. They just believe it's a holy place. So somebody came up and said, you're, you're really not supposed to take pictures. He said, oh, okay. So he goes out and said, they said I wasn't supposed to take pictures. And I said, son, as we're walking up into the Sistine Chapel, in about 15 different languages, it said, do not take pictures in this place. Do not take pictures. Did you not hear that? Maybe, maybe English skipped him and he only heard the foreign languages. So he has all these pictures. But early on, I told him, I said, son, we're going to see some amazing things. We're going to experience some wonderful things. Do not experience it like this. After you take your shots, pull that down. 
and just embrace the beauty of everything that's going on around you. And it's funny because about two months ago, we had this conversation. He said, I never forgot you told me, do not see this trip through a lens. And although he took some wonderful pictures, he pulled that down and looked at everything and embraced it. I want to say this to you. Do not experience Jesus two-dimensional. Do not experience him as, as a scripture on a slide or, or just ink on a page. He wants to give us life. There's this beautiful, beautiful verse in Colossians 3, 4 that says this. When Christ, who is our life, appears. When Christ, who is our life, appears. And I remember the first time that scripture really caught me. I said, no, Jesus is not a Sunday morning thing. He's not a... I mean, we used to be wild people. We used to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know what? Jesus was even bigger than that. Jesus is 24-7, 365 and a quarter days a year. There's actually a quarter in there. 365 and a quarter days a year. He is our life. And I want to encourage you because if your relationship with Jesus is kind of humdrum or dry or dead, I just want to challenge you. Could it be possible that you're experiencing him in a two-dimensional way, instead of the full way that he wants to embrace us. He wants to embrace our life. And so I want us to shift from being doubters and unbelievers to being people of faith and people of belief. We're actually called, this just stuck in my mind for the last few months, you notice me saying it with regularity, we're called believers. We're called believers. And so two-dimensional living is not for us. And our Christianity, although I totally believe it's rational, it's logical, it's brilliant, it's intellectual. It's more than just an intellectual experience. It is an experiential experience. We really can experience the life of God. Now, I don't want to make that too mystical because you may say, but I got lawns to mow and dishes to clean and jobs to go to and school to go to. Just Jesus goes with you everywhere. Just enjoy it. I was out mowing the grass yesterday. Just listen to some worship music and just thanking God for the health and strength to be able to do that and just taking with you everywhere. Your workplace probably needs Jesus. Your school might need Jesus. Your neighborhood might need Jesus. The grocery store might need Jesus. Everywhere you go, just take Jesus with you. And I'm telling you, just like we talked about the donkey last week, not always is there a grandiose moment that happens, but there is a time where we get to carry Jesus in a powerful, meaningful way that makes a big deal and a big difference in our lives and in someone else's life. So his power and his presence should saturate our entire life, our entire being. And we should be enjoying Jesus on a daily basis. So let's determine. I want to make the shift. I hope you do too. Let's determine to make a shift from our belief in Jesus being a Sunday morning thing to our belief in Jesus being our life. Amen. We're called to do life and to have life and to enjoy life in Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The power and the beauty of the resurrected Savior. Wow. Man, those who saw Jesus, we read it, they were overjoyed when they saw him. And boy, that, that suffering Savior, that sacrificial lamb that Jesus came as, He's now the risen king. He's the risen king. And he's so amazing. You can read it in the book of Revelations. When John saw, and John was like, John's the one that laid his head on Jesus' breast and adored Jesus. 
But when he saw King Jesus in the book of Revelation, he fell down on his face as though dead. He said, this is the same Jesus I walked the dusty streets of Galilee with. This is the resurrected Savior. And man, the resurrected Savior will change our lives. So let's make fresh commitments to Jesus today. We don't have a dead religion. We have a living relationship with a resurrected Savior. And I encourage us to be a part of that. Let's pray together.